Before we get started, I want to mention a couple of things that are important in the life of our church this week. Today, when we leave uh, the service here, we're going to have dinner on the grounds. We hope that the rain will hold off. We've got a tent outside. We've got places inside to eat. So we want to invite all of you to do that. I'm sure we'll have plenty of food. It gives us an opportunity not only to fellowship with each other, but to fellowship with Woodland Hills also that's going to stay around for this event. And we just ask that if you don't have lunch plans, please stay and be a part of that. Also, this Wednesday night, we are having our John Sowers event. Uh, John wrote the book, Fatherless Generation. He's got a heart for those communities around the country that have a lot of fatherlessness, which is certainly the case not only here in the Fondren area, but all over the state of Mississippi. And he's going to share his heart with us this Wednesday night. We're opening it to the public, but we're also asking that if you're in a small group or lead a small group, that you would sacrifice that night and come meet with us here so that we can be a part of what he has to say. We're very excited about being here. This was scheduled a month ago, and the ice and the snow kind of uh, rearranged it, but we're glad that he was able to re rearrange his schedule and be here. There once was a pastor's wife who also taught second grade Sunday school. When she was teaching one Sunday morning, like she always does, a visitor arrived late, and his name was Josh. As she went to the door to introduce herself to Josh, she noticed that Josh's left arm was missing. Immediately, she got concerned because you know how children can be, and she did not want them to do anything that might embarrass Josh. So she used the whole class and walked around eggshells so that no one would make Josh feel awkward. When it came time to the end of the class to come, she did what she always does. She put her hands together, and she led them in this is the church, this is the steeple, and then she realized what she had done. She had blown it. But as she turned around and she looked at Josh to see what his reaction would be, there sat Catherine beside him, and with her right hand, she put up her hand to Josh's hand, and she said, hey, Josh, let's do church together. Isn't that a beautiful picture of what church should be? Over the last four weeks, Robert, oh, excuse me, over the last couple of weeks and for four weeks, we're going to be doing this series called Learning to Follow. And the idea of this is us as believers, as Christians, how do we become better disciples or followers of Jesus? And there's, there's a few components to make that happen. The first two weeks, Robert talked about the row. Now, the row is what we're doing right now. It's what you're sitting in right now. It's an opportunity for us to come together as believers and worship together, and sing together, and pray together, and listen to teaching of God's word together, and fellowship together. And it is a very important part of what we need if we're truly going to be disciples and followers of Jesus. But today, I have the privilege of talking about the circle. Now next week, Robert's going to talk about the chair. That's another really important component in this. And the chair is where you have alone time with God, where you use it to meditate. It's very uh, contemplative. It is solitude. It's a chance for you to be still and know that, that he is God. But today we're going to talk about the circle. And the circle represents community. Okay, And so when, when I looked up the definition of the circle, it basically said this. A circle is a shape where every point along the edge is equidistant from the center. 
okay? And the distance between the center and the edge is called the radius. And the distance across the widest part of the circle is called the diameter, and it is the radius times 2. Y'all remember this from math class? And then the, the, the distance around the circle is called the circumference, and it's the diameter times 2 times pi. Now, that's where it gets a, real, a, little, a little fuzzy for me. So maybe some of you college students can help us. But for today, we're going to focus on the part of the circle where it's the equidistant part between the middle and, and the edge. Now, at Fondren, we try and lead people into community in what we call small groups. And, and we really feel like that it's a very important part of our development as believers. And, that, and that's why we talk about them all the time. But, but listen when I say this. A very close set of relationships is central to everything there is about being living the Christian life. Okay, I'm going to say that again. A very close set of relationships is central in every part of living the Christian life. And today we're going to get our passage from Ephesians chapter 4. So if you'll turn to that if you have your Bibles. You know, Jesus himself modeled community. When Jesus left the earth, he didn't leave a book. He left a community of people to share God's word. And so this is a very, very important part as we look at this today. So I want us to read this, and then we're going to go back, and we're going to look at each verse individually. It says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, the first three chapters of Ephesians deal with who God is and what he has done for us. Okay, But beginning in chapter 4, we see that turn a little bit from this massive theology of who God is to this immense practicality of what we should do in response to that. The first 66 verses of the book have one commandment. The last 87 verses, beginning in verse 4 of the book, have numerous commandments directing us to respond to who God is. Now, there's two dangers in the Christian life. Uh, and they are, some of us are very interested in the knowledge of God and the doctrine of God, but our lives don't reflect what we've learned. And on the other side, there are some of us that are very willing to serve, but we don't want to spend the time it takes to get the knowledge and the doctrine of who God is down. In the book of Ephesians, Paul shows us the importance of both and how for us to live a balanced life we need both of those things. Uh, now, Paul was writing this letter to the church in a prison cell in Rome. Now, I see Bob Pennybaker back there, and we had the uh, fortune of going on a trip with Bob a couple of years ago to Italy and, and touring Rome, and we got to walk by that prison cell. It was kind of surreal to kind of be there where Paul actually was when he wrote some of these letters. 
But as he was writing it, that's what it says in verse 1. It says, I therefore, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, he has been incarcerated because of his stance on Christianity and his belief in Jesus. He said, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, this calling, Paul talks about in the first three chapters. And he's asking, please, and begging, please, please live your life out to reflect that. Now, the key word in this verse is worthy. Okay? And the Greek word it comes from, I'm not a Greek person, but I did read about this and learn it, is the word axios. If we can put that word up. Okay? Now, this axios is a Greek word. It's kind of a word picture. All right? So picture some balancing scales. Some scales with a post, with a cross beam, and suspended from either side pans. And this is the way they used to weigh things. It would be not unlike for you legal people out there, scales of justice that you might see in someone's office. But they'd take this known weight, a lead weight, maybe a pound, and they'd put on one side. And then they'd take flour or sugar or whatever they're trying to weigh, and they'd put on the other side until the scales were balanced. And they, they were equal to each other. And so that meant that the flour and the lead weight were in axios, or they were worthy of each other. And what Paul's trying to say here, and I think this is really critical as we think about community, is, is that you've got to live your life to where God's calling and your actions equal each other. But if we're truly going to grow as followers, we can't do it in a bubble by ourselves. We've got to extend the conversation to others that are in the calling also so that we might can grow from them and live from them. Um, and, and, you know, God built us to have this, uh, this, this craving in us to be in relationship with other people. It's the way we're wired. It's just the way we're wired. You know, even, even if you're not in the church, people are wired that way. I'll give you an example this week, as I, as I was thinking about this, this, this teaching, it reminded me of a song that Sting wrote back in the, in the 90s that was one of my favorite songs. And it says, you can, it, the words say, you can say I lost my faith in science and progress. You can say that I lost my belief in the Holy Church. You can say that I lost my sense of direction. You can say all of this and more. But if you say that I lost my faith in you, then I don't know what I'm going to do because people will say I'm a lost man in a lost world. So it's not only the church that craves relationship, it's people in general that craves relationship. But Paul is teaching us in this letter that if we are going to really experience that community that we crave, if we're really going to experience it, then there's going to be some requirements to do it biblically and do it the right way as we move to chapter I mean, to verse, verse 2 in chapter 4, it says, here's, here's the requirements that we need. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So let's focus on these words, humility and gentleness. You know, Jesus himself in Matthew 11 calls himself humble and gentle. 
But this word humble, back in the ancient world when Paul was writing this, it did not reflect anything positive. In fact, it was a very negative connotation in this word. And and usually when you use this word humility, they used it to refer to the slaves or people that were not of a class that we should be. In fact, back in those days, anybody that was prominent or thought high of was somebody that was very strong, very self-sufficient, and did not depend on others to make it in life. That's not much unlike today, is it? I mean, I know I find myself all the time trying to do something on my own because I think I'm the only one that can do it the right way. When God has put all these people around me that could compliment me and do it so much better with so much little effort. But, but gentleness and humility are not words that was applauded back in those days. Um, you know, Gay and I have had the privilege of leading several small groups since the church began. And always one of my favorite times in those groups are the times when the group gets so close that the walls start coming down. And people become, become vulnerable and they start sharing things. It's interesting. We have mostly done younger groups and it takes a long time for that to happen. But this time we're in an older group, people our age, and it happens pretty quickly. I guess we realize that when you get to our age, you, you don't have much time to waste. Let's just get it on out there. But, but the point is this. When that happens... When people get vulnerable, the only proper response we can give is to be gentle and have humility. Because what's going to happen if we get judgmental and critical? They're not going to open up again. They might not even come back. But but if we're going to really form community, and community is essential for our discipleship, then we've got to have these traits of gentleness and humility. And then he goes on to talk about uh, the other characteristics, which it says, with patience, bearing one another in love. Now, I didn't really prepare anything on patience because I'm the most impatient person probably in the room. In fact, I got impatient even coming uh, to to church today. Uh, So study that one on your own because I'm not really sure what to say. (laughs) But but I will talk a little bit about bearing one another in love, okay? And... uh, the, the word that, that some translations use is this word forbearance, okay? And what that really means is, is giving people room to breathe. Letting them be who God intended them to be. Letting them make contributions to the church and society regardless of their imperfections, okay? Y'all got that? Letting them contribute to the church and society regardless of the imperfections because you see it's our human nature to want to not allow people to do things because they have flaws. Well, we all have flaws. But for us to experience community, we've got to allow people to be who they are. It's a beautiful picture. On the way home this week, I was out the west for a work thing and I had a couple hours flight coming back this way. And so uh, I, I'm a huge Bill Murray fan. He's one of my favorite actors. And I've been wanting to see this new movie. It's just been released. And, and Gay was not real excited about it. So I kind of saved it to watch it on the plane. 
And so it's called St. Vincent. I don't know if anybody's seen it. But anyway, it's a story about a man named Vincent McKenna and his interaction with a, with a young boy that lived next door. Okay? And because Vincent was a retired military guy, very, very rough and grouchy and a lot of flaws, very evident flaws. And Oliver was this young man that lived next door that was just, you know, sweet and innocent and just very um, uh, transparent. And, and, and because Vincent needed the money and Oliver's mother needed somebody to watch him after school, Vincent became his babysitter. And Vincent taught him a lot of things. <laughs> but, but let me tell you, Oliver had the ability to see the good in Vincent. And because of that, they developed this strong relationship. And in this relationship spilled over to people around them, and they formed this community. And I'm telling you, it is a diverse group of people that is part of this community. And the entire, the entire two hours I was watching this, I wept almost the whole time. And I'm sure the guy next to me on the plane was saying, what is wrong with this guy? You know? And, but it wasn't because it was sad. It was because it was such a beautiful picture of relationship and what community should be. So uh, I would recommend that you see it. Uh, and then it hit me. My favorite passage in the New Testament is the one that precedes this passage that we're talking about today. It's at the end of chapter 3. And in all these years, I've never really studied those two things together. I've always stopped at the end of three because I loved it so much. And then maybe I read four at another time. But it really hit me. But I want you to see what it says in chapter 3 and verses 18 and 19. It says that, and, and it spills over from the previous verse. It says, and you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. And to know that the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, that's my favorite passage in the New Testament. And I understand what the gospel is. It talks about it there. Because the gospel is that there's this love that Christ has for us. And it does not matter what we do or what we don't do. And it doesn't matter what we look like or how smart we are. Or it doesn't matter if we're successful or we're not successful. God loves us unconditionally, and that is the picture of the gospel. And that's what this verse has always meant to me. But now when I pair it with this next section, I see this beautiful thing of community. And treating people in community with gentleness and humility... And bearing one another in love and patience, it has this compounding effect on what the gospel truly is. And I think that's what Paul was talking about. For us to understand the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, it takes relationships with other people that are on this journey with us. That's what I think Paul was talking about. And it just really, really resonated with me this week as I was on that plane looking at that. Now, there's a passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12 that, that say this. 
Two are better than one because they have a good uh, reward for their toil. I'm going to turn here so I can see it. But for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You know, loneliness is a problem in our society. And the writer of Hebrews is teaching us that if we're going to be alone in this world, things are going to be difficult. And I don't know how many of you out there consider yourself loners, but I would plead for you today to try and get other people in your life. Look what Time Magazine said this week about loneliness. Loneliness kills That's the conclusion of a new study by Brigham Young University researchers who say that they are sounding the alarm on what could be the next big public health issue on par with obesity and substance abuse. The subjective feeling of loneliness increases risk of death by 26% according to the new study in the journal uh, Perspectives on Psychological Science. Social isolation or lacking social connection And living alone were found to be even more devastating to a person's health than feeling lonely. Respectively, increasing mortality risk by 29%. Have you ever thought of loneliness as an epidemic? But loneliness is all throughout our society. And we, the church, it's our responsibility to create community for those that need it. There's a story that the UPI... Uh, released some years back about John Davies. He's 58 years old, and he was in a wheelchair. And he was in assisted living or some kind of facility. And to gain attention, he set his wheelchair on fire. And when law enforcement came, they ticketed him. I don't know what kind of ticket you would call that. (laughs) But they ticketed him to show him the seriousness of it. You know what he said? He said... I was afraid, but I didn't care. I wanted to do anything it it took to get out of this. You see, I think John Davies knew exactly how serious it was. Because alienation and neglect is almost the same thing as death. There's another story about a young man who went and got his hair cut every week just so he could be around someone in relationship in a non-threatening way. And without the component of community, of living in this circle with other believers, our growth with Christ is going to be stunted. But community comes with a price. Authentic community requires sacrifice and commitment. There's a book written a few years back called Radical Hospitality. And it it talked about this idea that our culture today is getting to the place where they are so fearful and suspicious about people around them that are not like themselves. That they are becoming non-hospitable. Okay, But the book goes on to say the remedy for fear for suspicion, for even hatred, is hospitality. 
There's a lot of examples of hospitality in the Bible. If you look in Genesis and you think about Abraham and Sarah, they entertained three strangers. They gave them something to eat. They gave them a place to rest. These strangers just happened to be the Trinity. And their hospitable reward was that Abraham became a father of great nations. And one year after they were there, Isaac was born. Move a few years ahead and you see the Israelites looking at the promised land. The spies are in the promised land. And what do they do but meet a brothel owner on the wall named Rahab. And so spies trusted the prostitute. And the prostitute gave in to her fears and she provided them safe haven. And her reward and investment was being in the bloodline of Christ. Perhaps the most famous story about hospitality in the Bible was that that Jesus told about the Good Samaritans. The Jews hated the Samaritans. Yet it was a Samaritan that went by the road when the man was beaten and dead almost. And he gave him his time and his resources and he provided restoration. And Jesus said for us to go and do the same. And what about Paul himself? You know, before Paul saw the light... Paul was sweeping around the countryside, terrifying and murdering any followers of Jesus. But then Jesus knocked him off his feet one day. And there was Ananias and those believers in Damascus that took him in. And they affirmed his faith. And they ignited his ministry. And they provided him a way to escape the Jews Can you imagine without that hospitality where we would be today in the church without Paul and the works that he's done? You know, hospitality is so important for what we do. And over the last few years, one thing that is clear to me about discipleship is that following Jesus and hospitality are closely connected. And and all we're trying to, to do is provide people a safe place to where they can experience The presence of God. Because it's ultimately about saving lives. It's ultimately about allowing people to take what terrifies them in the midst of their circumstances. And give them a safe place so that we can interact together and support them in that. You know, uh, on my bucket list is to go out to California and see the great redwood trees. I think we've got a picture um, yeah, that, there they are. And it's, isn't it amazing? And these are the tallest and largest trees in the world. They grow up to be up to 350 feet tall. That's taller than a football field. They live thousands of years. And you would think for somebody to sustain that kind of age and get that large, they would need a deep root system. But the truth is, Some redwoods only have roots five and six feet deep, just as tall as me. But what they do to compensate for that is they have roots that run 100 feet in either direction. And they grove together in what we would call community with other trees, and they form this, infuse together, and form this unbelievable strength so that when the winds come and the floods rage, that they can stand and that's what community's about. Community's about surrounding our pe- ourselves with people so that when things hit us, 
that, that we cannot withstand for ourselves that we have other people to share that burden with. And, and, and that's why the circle is so important. When you look at a circle, and I, I talked about it being equidistant from the center, just, just imagine the center being the foot of the cross. And it doesn't matter where we come from, where we are economically, or sociologically, or racially, we all are equal at the foot of the cross. And in community, what the cross did and what the gospel does equals the playing field. And it creates a beautiful picture of diverse people coming together in a beautiful mosaic that represents the church. Now, here at Fondren, we have about 35 different opportunities for you to be involved in small groups, and we're fixing to start another one. And so I would just, I would just uh, ask you to, to pray about, if you're one of those people that just come on Sunday mornings, that's great, but it's only one component of, of growing in Christ. Think and pray about being community. Let us help you get in community if you're not there. We think it is so, so important to what, to what we're trying to do here. The row is important. What happens is important here. There are some things that happen on, on Sunday mornings that can't happen anywhere else. And the chair is important. The time spent alone with God is important. But I don't think anything is as vital if you really want to grow in Christ as getting around a community of other believers. And to, and to close, Paul goes to um, verse 3 and it says this. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You know, God calls us to be peacemakers. I kinda, that kind of is naturally for me because I don't like conflict, which is not a good thing all the time. For some of us, we love conflict. We never want to be the peacemaker. But if we're going to live in true community, we're going to grow as believers, we have to become peacemakers. Francis of Assisi writes this beautiful, beautiful prayer. He was a, France, he was a uh, Franciscan friar. Excuse me. He was a Catholic friar in, uh, 12, in the 12th century. And he writes this beautiful prayer that I really think encapsulates what we talked about. Today, And so I want to kind of close with that prayer. And um, I, just, I just pray that you will pray this week about community, how you can be more involved in it. And if we can help, just, just let us know. But pray with me now. Lord, make me an instrument of thy peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, Faith, where there is despair, hope, and where there is darkness, light, where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to your eternal life. Amen.
you'll stand. There might be some of you today that uh, need prayer, something going on in your life, need someone to talk to, and we'd, we'd be glad to do that. So as Topher leads us in these next few minutes, um, I would ask you that if that's you, come down. We'll have someone on either side, and uh, I'll be down here at front. We'd, be, we'd love the opportunity to pray for you.